0: that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'm sure that all of us have heard that old saying, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And we know what it means. Just to bite into a lemon or to squeeze some of its juice into your hand and drink it It can be pretty sour, but put a little cool water and some sugar into that juice and you have lemonade, a drink that can be really refreshing on a hot summer day. And we all know that sometimes life gives us lemons, distasteful and unpleasant circumstances and situations. When that happens, we can just try to endure the situation or we can be proactive and try to find the good in it. In other words, make the lemons into lemonade. What got me thinking about this was Paul, who would not have heard that saying, but sure believed it. Since his conversion in the city of Damascus, Paul had been handed a boatload of lemons. Simply studying the book of Acts, you see a lot of what Paul went through, but what we see in Acts is just the tip of the iceberg. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28, and consider some of Paul's personal lemons. The familiar passage tells us, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers dangers from robbers dangers from my countrymen dangers from the gentiles dangers in the city dangers on the sea dangers among false brethren i have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst often without food in cold and exposure Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. We are focusing in this episode on the particular passage from the letter to the Philippians. So Paul's latest lemon had been wrongful imprisonment. He had spent two years as a prisoner in Caesarea. After appealing to Caesar, he had been sent to Rome. And it appears that when Paul wrote the Philippian letter, He had already been imprisoned in Rome for about two years. Now, Paul had wanted to go to Rome, but he had wanted to go there as a free man, as a preacher of the gospel. Instead, he was there as a prisoner, an older preacher bound with chains. In Acts 28 and verse 16, we find when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. In verse 20 we find for this reason therefore I requested to see you and to speak with you for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. In Ephesians 6 another prison letter I might add. In verse 20 we find for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And in Philemon which is yet another prison epistle verse 9 says Yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the Aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. The Greek word for chain in two of those passages refers to the short length of chain by which the wrist of a prisoner was bound to the wrist of a soldier who was his guard, so that escape was impossible. Now, it is possible to look at the restrictions as well as the other indignities that such a man as Paul suffered, and react with sympathy and maybe even a little anger. But the better thing to do is to shift our attention from what can be seen to what cannot be seen, and that is Paul's heart. While others, including myself, may have been filled with self-pity and frustration in such circumstances, I want us to look at Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 20, and see that there is no hint of bitterness in Paul. When he looked at his situation, he did not view it as a tragedy. He did not see himself as a victim, but rather as a victor. That is a challenge for us as readers of the Philippian letter, to view the situation through the apostles' eyes, to see the situation as Paul saw it. Remember, we're talking about a letter written by a prisoner, We'll turn now to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. There we read, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. This verse really begins the body of Paul's letters. He wrote of my circumstances, and that would include everything that he had suffered in the past and what he was going through in the present. It is kind of amazing that he dismissed it all as my circumstances rather than listing all of the things he had suffered. He wrote that his circumstances had turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. My friends, the word translated as progress here is really neat. It is a compound word, which in the verb form means to cut forward. Originally, the word was used of a pioneer cutting his way through brushwood. The word was also used to describe the work of army engineers who went before the troops cutting down trees and other growth that would impede the army's progress. So we can say Paul's imprisonment was clearing the way for the gospel. Paul could have looked at it as a good situation or a bad situation. He chose to see the good in it. Let's look now at verses 13 and 14 as Paul gives two examples of the progress the gospel had made because of his imprisonment. The verses tell us, So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ... Has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. The first example he gave was contact with the lost because of his imprisonment. He had a remarkable opportunity since his arrest in Jerusalem. He had preached to the Jewish council to Roman governors and other high-ranking officials, including a king. But none of those opportunities had proven better than the one he had when chained to soldiers in Rome. After writing about the greater progress of the gospel, he wrote, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard. Now we do know that the gospel reached even Caesar's household from chapter 4 and verse 22. But there Paul was talking about the elite soldiers who made up the finest regiment in the Roman army. They were the Imperial Guard of Rome, 10,000 hand-picked Italian troops, all of whom had a rank on the level with the centurion. They had other duties, but were primarily the emperor's private bodyguard. They had tremendous influence in Rome, and in latter days, historically, they became the emperor-makers of the Roman Empire. They had special privileges and retired after 12 to 16 years and were given complete Roman citizenship and special land grant each one of them. In guarding Paul the standard practice would have been for shifts to be changed every six hours. So with this schedule Paul would have had the opportunity to influence four soldiers a day. The soldiers surely thought that Paul was the captive but it was Paul who had the captive audience as he went through his days. What did they see and hear him do? He dictated his letters, like this one that we're studying. He talked with friends like Timothy and Epaphroditus. He taught those who came to see him, and he prayed and he praised God. Just think, if Paul had gone to Rome as he originally planned and had preached the gospel in the Roman forum, probably not one of those soldiers would have stopped to listen to him. However, since they were chained to him night and day, he would have been hard to ignore. Again, we see the providence of God. Whether any became Christians or not, I don't know. There is uninspired tradition that says some did, but they did come to understand what Paul represented. Paul wrote, The cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. That is not all, for he also said to everyone else. That would have been anyone else the apostle had influenced. Apparently, one such person would have been a runaway slave named Onesimus, about whom we read in Philemon. So God's messenger may have been bound, but the message wasn't. The second example Paul gave of how his situation had helped the spread of the gospel was that his continued work in the imprisonment gave the brethren more courage to speak the word of God. How did Paul's imprisonment have this effect? Maybe when the brethren saw Paul trust in the Lord to take care of him, this increased their confidence in God. When they saw him continue to work in spite of his troubles, maybe that gave them courage to face whatever ridicule or problems came their way. You might notice that verse 14 speaks more courage to speak the word. The word used here was not the normal word for preaching. It is possible the emphasis here is on day-to-day sharing of the gospel by all Christians. Celsus, who was a 2nd century Greek philosopher and an opponent of Christianity, wrote that leather dressers, wool workers, cobblers, the most illiterate and vulgar of mankind, are zealous preachers of the gospel. The counter of the the desk of the tax collector, the plow handles of the farmer, those were their pulpits. He thought he was taking a shot at Christianity, but that, in a large part, is what it's all about. Looking at Philippians 1, verses 15 through 18, we find, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in presence or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. It is uncertain whom Paul had in mind but probably there were evangelists in Rome, one of the few cities where the church was already established when Paul arrives. About five years earlier, Paul had written to the church in Rome and named over two dozen Christians there. No doubt the church in Rome had been blessed with some very capable evangelists by the time of his arrival. Unfortunately, some of these, and I don't know why, did not seem to like Paul. They even thought that their continued preaching would cause him distress and prison. Maybe they thought if they were successful in preaching that that would make Paul unhappy. Envy and strife are not unknown attitudes even among some preachers today. Others were preaching Christ from good will and out of love. These appreciated Paul and what he stood for and what he was trying to do. They knew and believed that Paul was appointed for the defense of the gospel. And in context, appointed means divinely appointed. So those who preached out of selfish motives were preaching only to benefit themselves, either for financial reward or by having people lined up on their side. Now, Paul could have become bitter. He could have said something like, I have been in prison here for years already, and I'm trying to make the best of an intolerable situation. I'm teaching and writing letters and doing my best to maintain a good attitude. And here are some of my own brethren trying to do me harm. That is not right. That is not fair. That is what he could have done. But what did he do? He wrote, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. That last statement has been called one of the noblest utterances of one of the greatest of men. I like that. Paul was not concerned first about Paul. He was concerned about the gospel. He didn't allow his critics to slow him down, but rejoiced that the gospel was being preached. This is making lemonade out of lemons. Now reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, we find, For I know this, that will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers, in the provisions of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This is just an incredible passage. When Paul looked at his situation, what did he see? He saw a climaxing and a happy ending. He looked at what was happening and saw two good results. First, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. The word translated deliverance is more commonly translated as salvation. Paul could have had several things in mind. Deliverance from prison, deliverance from the slander and mistreatment of his enemies, or most probably deliverance or salvation eternally. The good prayers of the saints on his behalf and the generous help of the Holy Spirit of Christ would contribute to his deliverance. The second good result of Paul's consideration of his circumstances was that Christ would be exalted in his body, and that would be true whether Paul lived or died. He believed that everything took place and would ultimately exalt Jesus. He thought that he would probably be released after his trial, and he was, but that was not his point. His point was that whatever happened, He was determined to exalt Jesus. I have to keep working to look at life as Paul looked at life and believe that whatever happens to me, everything will turn out all right. If our relationship with the Lord is right and our attitude is right, it will be all right. When we get right down to it, if we can get to that point, what peace of mind it must bring to our hearts. May we consider our difficulties as Paul did his. Thanks for listening.